have it, uh, our little mini-series, Ezekiel 36 and John chapter 3. Can you go to the table with that, please? Um, we're doing a little short series this, sem- this summer. Summer, not semester. Uh, that's right. Uh, called a glossary of grace, in which we are taking a week to study a uh, important theological term, a, a fancy multi-syllable word that, uh, by nature, we may think just because it's a fancy word that somehow it's uh, not very important. But the reality is, uh, all of these are important aspects or ways of viewing the good work that God has done for his people. Uh, it all sort of follows under the umbrella of God's good, gracious love for his people. And so uh, thus far we've studied grace during week one, and last week we studied atonement or propitiation. And uh, Alicia, can you play outside? And uh, this week we are going to look at uh, a completely different word, uh, a word called regeneration. Um, it's not called regeneration. It's a theological term called regeneration. Uh, the word is regeneration. And, and somehow uh, that word is a little evocative to us. Maybe the first impression is uh, something like a, uh, a lizard regrowing its lost tail. Or uh, somewhat perhaps more, um, I don't know, supernaturally or uh, in the realm of superpowers, uh, Deadpool or... Um, Wolverine um, recovering quickly from their wounds. Uh, that's sort of the idea you may have uh, with a word like regeneration. And in some ways that's in the ballpark, but uh, doesn't quite get us there uh, because it's not radical enough. It's not radical enough uh, to meet the terms of the biblical reality of the kinds of regenerative work that we actually need as humans. Um, so, by way of sort of introduction to that topic, uh, my family just got back from the beach. They were in Florida a week or two ago. Last December, we were all there. One of our last days there, me and the kids were down at the beach. Met this very friendly guy. I asked what he was doing down here. Uh, he had just moved, and he said, uh, trying not to die. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. He's like, I've already died five times. I was like, what? And he pulled up his shirt. And he had uh, five lines across his chest, and they were, you know, typical like EKG readings, except for they all flatlined. He's like, "Yeah, that's for each time my heart stopped." Um, so he's like, "I've sort of died five times, and uh, heart's been restarted, you know, five times. I'm still alive, but I've moved down here to, you know, make some lifestyle changes." Well, that seems wise uh, after you've died five times. Um, that that gets us a lot closer to the idea of what the Bible is talking about when it talks about regeneration. Um, so, um, yeah, and perhaps another introduction to the term is occasionally, maybe on TV or maybe at uh, some angry rally, you might see some people holding up signs that say, repent, or uh, repent and be born again. And uh, phrases like that, repent and be born again, make it, well, they sort of give the impression that uh, these are things that are easy to do. Like, because I tell you to do them, you should just be able to go do them. Like, you know you're doing bad things and you know you're not alive or something, so go fix it. And uh, the, act, the impression is you can do this easily with an act of the will or just a simple decision. And uh, the question is, where in the world would we actually get that idea? Because uh, 
it doesn't seem to be really close to what the Bible has to say. A closer reality, what the Bible has to say about regeneration is this guy who's been dead five times and someone else has had to come and restart his heart. So uh, we're going to read John 3, chapter, uh, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15 first. And if some of you guys want to take turns reading, that'd be great. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Okay. Thanks, guys, for uh, reading. I'm going to pray real quick, and then we'll continue. Uh, Father, thank you for your word and the chance to gather together tonight and uh, share a meal and catch up and meet new folks. And uh, we pray now as we look at your word, you'd be kind uh, to show us the nature of your work and your people and, and to show us what lies behind that, your love and your faithfulness, that we would be encouraged. And if need be, we would be challenged. And, uh, yeah, grant us uh, sharp minds and soft hearts and press your truth into reality in our hearts uh, that we might better love you and know you and uh, live for your glory and for the good of others. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Uh, sorry, by the way, I'm going to be staring at this computer. I could not get my printer to work. It's a... It's a bit unfortunate. So uh, the the story starts, actually, uh, and this is sort of going back to chapter 2 we didn't read. Uh, Jesus is sort of riding this wave of popularity. People know him. There's a reputation about him. And chapter 2 ends with the note that Jesus did not entrust himself to those who were following him wildly uh, because he knew what was in a man. He knew the hearts of the people. And uh, right on the heels of that, we have Nicodemus. Who comes? And uh, Nicodemus, it says, is a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. And perhaps uh, it would be helpful if you're if you grew up in church, then maybe you might take whatever preconception you have of Pharisee and set it aside for a moment. Uh, these are actually people that took the law very seriously. Uh, they may have been hypocrites in the extent that uh, they had a law and didn't keep it, but that doesn't mean they didn't take it seriously. They tried. They were earnest, and most people in Israel looked up to them as uh, as very serious minded as uh, holy as uh, devout 
And uh, it seems that Nicodemus is not only a Pharisee, but a ruler, which means he was a person of some standing. Maybe he had a, a pedigree, uh, a family standing, uh, such that he was a really well-respected uh, person in Israel. And it goes on, uh, Jesus actually later on calls him the teacher in, in uh, verse 10. Are you the teacher of Israel and don't know this? And uh, I, I don't think Jesus is being sloppy with his articles there. Um, you know, it's one thing to be a teacher, but Jesus calls him the teacher. This is a guy of some uh, renown and respect. He's devout. He's respected. And uh, he seems to be a man of some means. In other words, for someone who comes to Jesus by night, uh, this is someone that Jesus, part of his new, young, fledgling movement, should really be excited about. This is a great new candidate. Someone who's bright, someone who's committed, someone who's serious, someone who's got some means, someone who's well-respected. You know, so far Jesus' followers are mostly tax collectors and prostitutes and fishermen. It'd be great to land one of these uh, high school McDonald's All-American top ten prospects like Nicodemus. Uh, you know, it'd be really nice. And uh, Nicodemus comes, and uh, it seems not only does he have all these wonderful benefits, uh, about him, but he also seems to be sort of pro-Jesus. You, you see that in verse 2. Uh, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God's with them. And here I think we have to take Nicodemus at his word. He's not running a scam or a game. He's being sincere. I think he's being sincere. He thinks, Wait, Jesus, we some of us think you're from God because of what you do, because of these signs that you see. And, uh, you know, again, here's an excellent candidate. And Jesus' response in verse 3, you know, if I was, if I was writing the, uh, not, not like a paraphrase version, like, like the message, but like my version of the message, where everything is really short and a little abrupt, uh, it would read, Jesus' response would be like, you don't see anything. You believe me because of the signs that you see. You can't see nothing. Uh, Jesus in verse 3, and in verses that go on uh, after that, basically is telling Nicodemus, as it regards you knowing me and knowing God, point number one, no can do. If you think you can do it, and if you think you can know me or God or have a relationship with us based on your abilities or your knowledge, no can do. It starts with a big no. Uh, Jesus is saying in verse 3, Truly I say to you, this is a way of saying, listen very carefully, I really mean it. Unless one's born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. And Jesus here is saying, not only do you not know what you think you know, you can't even begin to comprehend and discern the realities of what God is doing in the world unless you have this strange thing, unless you are uh, born again. And Nicodemus immediately begins to struggle with what this means. He asks questions about it, and uh, Jesus, by way of explanation, just sort of says something very similar in verse 5. Truly I say, unless one's born of water and spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. Not only cannot you not comprehend what God is doing, but you can't get in. You, you certainly can't have eternal life. You can't have the kind of relationship with God you need unless you're born Born again, born of water and spirit. And, uh, you know, just to put a simple point on it, Jesus is saying you're spiritually dead. Uh, and the spiritually dead can't see, and they can't hear, and they can't do anything, especially not enter. Um, and this is uh, really important because we don't believe this. Nicodemus is someone who is knowledgeable, earnest, 
sincere, well-respected. And uh, what Jesus is saying is something that no one in Israel really believes. That you come into a right relationship, right relationship with God, not based on your performance and not based on your pedigree, but based on something completely different. And uh, this means that your spiritual activity, your own spiritual activity, your own busyness, your own earnestness is not necessarily a reliable indicator that you have a right relationship with God. Um, because it's not based on what you do. So, um, yeah, sort of next, uh, it's, we, we just had to start with a big no here. Um, but when we talk about what Jesus is talking about here with this new birth, regeneration, uh, it's really clear that this is not about what we do. Nicodemus here is struggling with what he can't do. Uh, verse 4, he asks, How can a man be born when he's old? You know, there's some really... Uh, potentially really gross, disturbing, physical imagination going on here. Uh, How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Um, He's really trying to struggle to figure out physiologically, anatomically, spiritually, analogously, what what are you talking about? How is this possible? How can I be born again? Perhaps he's asking and thinking, what I need, what Jesus is saying is I need a redo. I need a new life. And not like a new spiritual kind of life, but like I need a new start. I need to start all over. But that means I have to start all over from the beginning, which means I need to be reborn. And how is that possible? How can I get back and start all over again? Push the great reset button of life. And, uh, and he's saying, how's that impo- that's impossible. How can I do that? And Jesus is basically saying, you, you can't. Um, and, and John actually, uh, who seems to have taken this message to heart, John thinks about this a lot. You, you read similar things in 1 John, but also in chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Uh, this is chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive Jesus and who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And, and here John is simply reflecting on the words of Jesus here in the teaching that Jesus has elsewhere, that uh, as it comes to having a right relationship with God, it begins with regeneration, being born of God. And uh, he, he, John here is stressing it. It's not up to your will. It's not up to your effort. It's not up to your blood, your pedigree. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, this is all sort of spiritual and ethereal and philosophical, so I'll make it very understandable here. I've now witnessed uh, four live births. Four live births. And uh, they're all amazing and uh, strange, alien-like, uh, otherworldly, and uh, also humbling. Humbling, in some ways, is the man to be there. Um, and uh, the comedian Jim Gaffigan uh, sort of summarizes the humbling part of this. He he says, a woman can grow a baby inside her body, and then a woman can deliver the baby through her body, and then by some miracle, a woman can feed a baby with her body. And when you compare that to the male's contribution to life, it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, and it's true. Like In the room, there's almost nothing I can do, and I've really done almost nothing to make that possible. This is not a whole lot, anyway. And um, it's very humbling. Uh, the only person in the room, really, that's like more humbled and helpless than me is the infant being born, who can do nothing whatsoever. Uh, that's the only person that's probably more 
helpless uh, than me. And uh, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you've got to do that again. Like, that's what we're talking about. And, and you can't. As the baby, you, you have no control over that. It's a completely passive enterprise. It's something that happens to you. And uh, when, when John is saying in chapter 1 that you have to be born of God, he's saying this is something that God does and that you can't make happen on your own. Uh, and that's why we say in RUF, and if you haven't been around a lot, this, you won't have heard this before, but we say it during the semester. Um, Christianity is not about being right or doing right. It's about being made right. You've heard me say that, right? You know, as a corollary, as after we rightly relate to Jesus because he's made us right, then we want to know what's right and do what's right. But knowing what's right and doing what's right is not what makes us right. We're ultimately made right by a gracious God that gives us life. And that's what regeneration's about. So uh, lastly, let's talk about what this means, this nature of the new birth. It, it starts again with no can do, we can't do it. It's not about what we do. We are born uh, passively. This is a work of God. Uh, And uh, Jesus gives us a little bit of an indication here about what regeneration looks like and what it entails in verses 5 to 8. In verse 5, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one's born of water and spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. And if you go on and read some more... um, I'll just read it. Uh, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel, I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And Jesus here is highlighting some some really interesting things about this that I think we have to admit if we believe this. That the work of God as it as it concerns regeneration, as it concerns him giving life, is something that's mysterious. Something we can't control. Something that's gracious. Uh, something that's effective. Something that's spiritual. And by spiritual there, I mean Holy Spirit, capital S. It's a work of God's Spirit. And uh, we sort of see its effects like we would with the wind, but we really can't see it like the wind. So that's all sort of the spiritual, effective, mysterious part of it. But there's some other things here that I think we can really grasp onto and say, this is the nature of the new life that Jesus is talking about. And let's let's see here in verse 5. Jesus says, uh, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. And there's been a lot of ink spilled for a long time over what this phrase means of water and spirit. Uh, some people say water is the water of birth. Um and that's plausible. Uh, so you're born, and then you have to be reborn by God's Spirit. That's one possibility. Some others would say it's the water of baptism, and uh, and then the work of the Spirit. Um, I uh, uh, those are all plausible. I'm not necessarily saying they're wrong. I'm just simply saying I don't think that's actually what they mean. Which is a nice way of saying I think those are wrong. Um, but I think they might be right, and I might be wrong. I'm holding this tenuously. But I think uh, this text in Ezekiel 36 helps us. So if you turn to Ezekiel 36, we won't be here very long. But I, I, I want to turn to this text for two or three reasons. One, I think Jesus was reflecting on Ezekiel 36 in John chapter 3. Two, I want to show you that this teaching about regeneration, the necessity of the new birth, is not some newfangled idea that Jesus invented. This is sort of the heart of, this has sort of been running through the Bible for, for a long time. And uh, you find it here in Ezekiel 36. Uh, and if you want to see it sort of fleshed out in like a... Uh, semi-apocryphal poetic form, sort of like Tim Burton horror movie, 
go ahead and read chapter 37 where you really get like a visual display of what this new life might look like but don't read that right now uh, chapter 36 starting in verse uh, let's pick up uh, verse 23 I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them and the nations will know I am the Lord declares the Lord God when through you I have vindicated my holiness before their eyes he's talking to his people Israel I will take you from the nations they're in exile because they've been disobedient and I will gather you from all the countries and I'll bring you into your own land now pay attention I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. That last phrase is really important. That's what God has wanted all along. A people to be his own with a wonderful, deep, mutual relationship. It's sort of how the Bible begins and ends. And God's saying the way this will be accomplished, that he will have a people that love him and, and that he loves them back and wonderful reciprocity is this work. Two, twofold work. Cleansing. See that? Verse 25. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and I will give you a new heart. And I think you have here an indication of what water and spirit means. The water is indicative of cleansing. Regeneration is the work of God cleansing us from all our filth. Dealing with our past. Dealing with our selfishness and sinful acts and the heart from which they come. But then, ultimately, dealing with the heart itself. Verse 26. Giving us a new heart by the work of the Spirit. Putting the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Vitally connecting us to Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit. This is uh, foretold, you know. Ezekiel 36 happens a long time before Jesus comes. It looks forward to the work of Jesus. And uh, that's the promise that we have uh, with regeneration. That God not only deals with our guilt and our sin by cleansing us, but it gives us a new impulse by connecting us to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We have a new life at work in us. He gives us a new heart, if you will. Uh, Paul elsewhere, 2 Corinthians 5.17, calls us new creations. If we've been connected to Jesus by faith, um, well, no, it's before that. Uh, he gives us new life. And then we have faith. And as a result of that, we are new creations in God's eyes with new abilities and new affections. You see that in verse 27. Last thing here. Look at that, verse 27. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is exactly the opposite of what we think. We think, obey statutes and rules and I'll have a right relationship with God. Right? This is what Nicodemus is thinking. If I perform right, no right, do right, I'll have a relationship with God. And here God is saying, no, you need to be born rightly of God. And when I put my spirit in you, I will give you new abilities, new affections, new impulses, so you will know me and love me. Um, this is what regeneration is. It's God bringing people that are spiritually dead to an awareness of their need, granting them a vital connection to Him, cleansing them from their sin, uh, giving them this new heart as He connects them by the Spirit to Jesus and grants them faith. That's what regeneration is. It's the new life that Jesus calls Nicodemus to and to us as well. Uh, I'll share just one minute. Some of you guys have heard this, and I, uh, I feel a little 
self-conscious, uh, which I almost never do, uh, almost never, ever, ever. Uh, but it's my story, and my story is sort of like that of Nicodemus. Uh, not a well-respected the teacher, um, but you know someone who was always seemingly spiritual-minded, well-respected growing up. I was the moral kid, and uh, people thought I was great, and I worked hard, and all those things. And for every uh, intent and purpose, people thought I was a very mature Christian. And uh, the reality is, um, Jesus' words like "You must be born again." Um, I wouldn't say they troubled me because I simply assumed I was, but I, I never felt like I was. And there were all kinds of indications in my life through my growing up in teen years that I was not rightly related to God because I did not love Him, nor did I love anyone else. And those are really important. Those are the chief commandments. Love God, love neighbor. If you don't do those, then there's something wrong. You know, not perfectly, but you know, I didn't love them at all. Um, and I really struggled quite a bit with uh, feeling like I was forgiven. So eventually, after trying for years, and I mean trying hard, like praying for forgiveness with tears, <laughs> like almost every day for two or three years, um, and just not ever feeling at peace, I went to some youth camp. And uh, not out of genuine interest. I had almost sort of half given up. I was just chasing a girl. Uh, I graduated college, and I went to this youth camp, and I was chasing a girl there. And uh, I, uh, I was sort of angry because I was surrounded by these 14 and 15-year-olds that were so happy and annoying, and it really just ticked me off. And um, I couldn't wait to go to college and get this thing over with. And, uh, but by the third day... I was so struck um, by a tiredness with myself and a sense of God's hand that I, uh, this is a Baptist camp and I grew up Baptist, I, I went up in a good Baptist fashion to rededicate myself, which is an, a fancy way of saying to try harder again uh, to be a Christian in my mind because I hadn't tried hard enough in the past, um, and, uh, which was the wrong way of thinking about what they were asking me to do. Um, but I remember getting up there, and uh, them, which was really shocking to everyone that was there because they knew me as this really mature Christian, of course. And I'm uh, tearful, and uh, they're, How can I, what can I do for you? And I'm like, I couldn't talk because I was broken. I was just, y'all, some of y'all used to me being emotional, but this, this was not there beforehand. Um, people were really confused, and I couldn't get my name out. And they're like, "Okay, George, we'll pray for you." And I'm like, don't pray for George. What about me? I, uh, I need you to pray for me. Like, this is important. Um, and I remember talking to my pastor afterwards, and I could not articulate what was going on. It was one of those deals where I could not ask someone what to pray for me for because I didn't know. The end. Of, the short of it was, I had come to the end of myself. I didn't know what to ask for because I knew I could no longer do anything. I got to the point of, of, of point one. I didn't know or really understand that I needed God to completely reborn, like rebirth me, regenerate me. But I knew I could no longer do it. I'd come to the end of myself. I just sort of like threw myself and, and surrender. And... Uh, and I didn't know that's what I was doing, but that's what it was. I just sort of gave up into Jesus' arms. I'm almost done, baby. And uh, a really strange thing happened. Um, like I didn't expect anything to happen. I thought I just gave up. Um, within two weeks, I, I felt peace and forgiveness like never before. And, and like... Not to interrupt you, but she's bleeding. So you might want... She's bleeding a little bit. Um, <laughs> and... Um, Within a month, ooh, within a month, um, I began to love people. 
like really began to genuinely care for people for the first time ever like to actually notice listen and care and uh, that was a marked difference in my life uh, an indication that God was giving me new impulses and affections so he was at work doing these two things cleansing me so I knew his forgiveness and giving me new affections and a new heart um, so yeah that's just sort of my story um, 